Thank you for listening to the Reclaim Church podcast. We hope that this message is a blessing to your life. For more information on our church, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at ReclaimTX. Now, please enjoy this message. I'm going to minister today out of the uh, out of the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And again, I'm just honored to be here this morning and uh, to be able to minister the word of God. I don't even know how long I got, so you just need to kind of tell me how long you normally go. Uh, if, if, you know, I usually go two hours. No, I don't. But anyway, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I'm going to read out of that. That's going to be my main text. Uh, uh, but today I want to give you a, a different uh, kind of perspective. I believe all of us this morning need to live in a different perspective. And the Bible says to put on the mind of Christ. And several places in Scripture, especially Paul the Apostle, begins to talk about putting on the mind of Christ. We need to change the way that we think. And I believe that is the goal of every believer is to change the way that we look at things and the way that we perceive things. And believe it or not, you and I can begin to think the way the Lord thinks. In fact, when you begin to read the Bible, there have been questions about that. In fact, Isaiah in chapter 40, verse 13, it says, who understands the mind of the Lord. And so even the great prophets of old said, how can we understand the mind of God? How can we understand how God began to think? And then we go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 2 or 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16. Paul tells us that we can understand the mind of the Lord. He said, we can understand these things because now we have the mind of Christ. So I want to pray before I dive into this message today. And ask the Lord to help us. Father, we thank you for what you're doing in this house. We thank you for what you're doing in the city of Huddle. And Lord, this new church that has been birthed here, the lives that are here, God, the lives that you're transforming, the lives that you're touching today from every walk of life. I pray today that you would just open our hearts. You would open our minds. Father, in 2019, your word is relevant it applies to every area of our life today. Let us be open to the Holy Spirit. God, remove every distraction. There's so many things that weigh heavy on our minds today. But God, you'll just remove the heaviness right now. And Lord, speak into our hearts. Help us to give you our 100% undivided attention. I pray for the anointing of God as I declare your word and that the people of God would hear the voice behind the voice. In Jesus' name, and the people said, amen. amen. So what does it mean to have the mind of Christ? How can we learn to think like Jesus? How can we learn to think uh, like the word of God? And believe it or not, when we talk about the mind of Christ, it's basically the attitude that Christ had, the perspective that he had, the reaction to different things that happened in his life. You have probably heard the term, you are what you eat. And I believe this morning you are what you think. The way you think will begin, you'll begin to steer your, uh, your behavior, your attitude. You'll become what you think. In fact, the Bible says in Proverbs 23, 7, uh, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. So the way we think really describes the direction of our life. And so how can we know the way Christ thinks? Well, we have the word of God. And so the word of God gives us his perspective his attitude and his reaction to different things 
that have happened uh, uh, during the time that he walked the earth, we begin to see how Christ began to give us a different perspective and how we're supposed to think. I don't know if any of you guys remember back in the 1990s, there was a slogan that came out called WWJD. How many know what that means? What would Jesus do? How many remember that slogan? And many of us remember it, WWJD. And it actually happened in 1990. There was a group of youth in Holland, Michigan. I didn't even know there was a city named Holland in Michigan, but there actually is. And these youth began to get stirred by God, and they were moved by the question, what would Jesus do with the choices that they made every day in life? And they said, how can we apply this? Instead of reacting to situations or temptations like we normally would do, what would Jesus do? And so they had wanted a tangible reminder and so what they did is they made these little bracelets, uh, and on them they put the insignia or the abbreviation WWJD. The bracelet basically caught the atti attention of classmates and friends and people, and so then almost everyone began to wear these, and of course the popularity grew, and there was mass marketing with the WWJD. It got national attention. But really, when you go back to the youth in Michigan, all they wanted was uh, they believed that Jesus can transform lives. And they wanted a daily reminder of how he could do that and influence uh, the community with their attitude and their walk of faith. And this is why Paul the Apostle said this again, 1 Corinthians 2.16. Let me read the whole scripture. It says, who can know the Lord's thought? Who knows enough to teach him? But we understand these things, for we have the mind of Christ. We can have the attitude of Christ. Now, there's one thing to uh, basically like Christ. There's a lot of people that like Christ. But there are a lot of people that are not Christ-like. Did you know the word Christian means to be Christ-like, to be like him? A lot of people like Christ. You can see it on Facebook, social media. They'll, they'll hit the like button. A lot of people can like Christ, but a lot of people are not like Christ or Christ-like. And so God wants us to be Christ-like. He wants us to begin to think like Christ. So I want to give you 10 characteristics today. I'm going to shorten them up as fast as I can, okay? I'm going to zoom through these things to show us that we can begin to think like Christ. How do we begin to do it? Number one, if you want to write these notes down, maybe put them in your phone. We know who we are. When we begin to think like Christ, we know who we are. We are confident of our identity. We live in a society today that people, are, they don't know who they are anymore. They don't know if they're a man or woman. Uh, they don't know if they're brown, white, black. They don't even know what color they are. And I'm just saying, how can it be that we live in a society today that are confused by their identity? They don't know who they are. But yet, when we look at the life of Christ, Christ was never confused by his identity. He knew exactly who he was. He wasn't, it wasn't fuzzy in his mind about who he was. He wasn't trying to discover who he was. There's lots of movies out there that kind of show Christ is trying to discover his identity. That is pure fiction. When you begin to look at the life of Christ, you'll learn early on Jesus knew 
exactly who he was. He knew who he was. He knew his identity. In fact, there are several verses of Scripture that Jesus, at least 18 times in the New Testament, he describes who he is. In John 6, 35, he says, I'm the bread of life. John 8, 12, I'm the light of the world. John 10, 11, I'm the good shepherd. John 11, 25, I am the resurrection and the life. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 15, 1, I am the true vine. And in Mark chapter 10, he goes, I am the son of God. So Jesus knew exactly who he was, and God wants you to know exactly who you are. See, I, I want you to realize something today. Who can know who you are more than your creator? The one that created you should know who you are, right? He created you. And yet, you and I today, we fall into this category where we, many people don't know who they are anymore. And when they don't know who they are, they begin to fall into the temptation and the deceptions of society to try to force you to be something else. See, if you don't know who you are, people will try to force you into their mode. They'll begin to tempt you. If you don't decide for yourself, they'll decide for you. They'll begin to tempt you to be something that you're not, and they'll begin to tempt you to be somebody else. You can have a friend, a girlfriend, a spouse. They'll begin to try to influence you to be something that you're not supposed to be, a tweaker, a drinker, a smoker, a toker, all those different things. If you're not careful, they'll begin to influence you to be that. Or if you don't know who you are, you'll end up being phony. You'll end up being what everybody else wants you to be. You'll wear this mask, and you really, aren't, you really don't know who you are anymore. I remember back in high school, there was this one guy that every, every couple of weeks, he would come with a different outfit, and you didn't know where he was coming from. I mean, he would have these flamboyant outfits that he would wear. I don't know if he was in the fashion or what it was, and it's like, man, you don't know what style this guy is. He wears this one week, uh, something else another week, and, and you just didn't know who he was. And I remember we, he was in, in one of the, cl one of the class, classes my friend was in. They said, I want you to describe everybody in the room with one word and just leave it on their desk. So everybody had about 25 different words that everyone described, and this guy my friend put a note on there, and he read it, and he was so mad. He said, who put this? Who wrote this? And the word was imposter. See, you're an imposter. You don't know who you really are. And my friend was, was real quiet. He said, don't tell him. It was me. I wrote it. I don't tell him anything. You know, we have a lot of imposter Christians today. They don't know who they are. They don't know their identity. They're confused. And this is what happens when you don't know your identity you'll begin to be confused. It creates all this stress in your life. You're going to different directions. Number two, you ready for this? When you have the mind of Christ, you know your purpose. Am I right? You know your purpose. You know why God created you. Jesus knew his purpose in life. He knew exactly what his purpose was. In fact, in John 8, 14, he said, I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. I want to ask you the question today, do you know where you came from and do you know where you're going? Do you know why God created you? Do you know your purpose in life? Again, Jesus knew his purpose back when he was just 12 years old. 
The Bible says in the book of Luke chapter 2, he was 12 years old, and yet Jesus knew what his purpose was. The Bible says they're traveling in this caravan of people. They have just left Jerusalem. Three days later, his mom and dad are looking for him. They think he's with the other relatives in the caravan, and they find out that they're, he's not there. They go back to Jerusalem, and where is Jesus? Jesus is in the house of God teaching the scribes and the Pharisees the things of God. They come to Jesus. He's just 12 years old. His parents come to him and say, son, why did you do this? Why have you put us through this frustration? We've been looking for you all over the place. And I love what Jesus said. He said, don't you know that I must be about my father's business? Don't you know what my purpose is? This is my goal. This is my purpose in life. And yet the question today I would ask you, are you preparing your children for their purpose in life? See, I believe the greatest thing that you could show your children, the greatest purpose in life is to serve God. That's why I believe it's our responsibility to bring our children to church. Show them that the number one priority in their life is God. That their life is to surround the things of God. That that's their main purpose is to worship and put God first. And yet we have other parents putting other things a priority rather than the things of God. I believe the most important priority is putting God in your family first. Can somebody say amen? In John chapter 10, Jesus said, my purpose is to give life and give it more abundantly. So Jesus knew he had clarity of what his purpose was and why he came. In fact, he even knew the death of the cross was something that was part, that was part of his purpose for coming to earth. In John chapter 12, verse 27, he's praying and he says, my soul is deeply troubled. What shall I say? Father, he says, save me from this hour. He says, no, it was for this purpose that I came. So Jesus knew why he came. Number three, are you ready for this? When you know your purpose or when you know, when you have the mind of Christ, you're aware that God is with you. See, I mean, a lot of Christians, they, they don't, they're not aware of Christ. They're not aware of God in their life. I know a lot of Christians that they feel lonely. They feel abandoned. Yet, when you read the word of God, when you have the mind of Christ, you should be very aware that you have the presence of God with you. Jesus was very aware of God's presence. He lived in the presence. I love what he said here in John 16, 32. He said, I'm not alone because the Father is always with me. Your greatest antidote to loneliness is to put on the mind of Christ and know that God's always with you. Knowing that he goes with you wherever you go, that you're not by yourself. That, that friend, you can be aware. See, what, what causes us to be aware? See, when you're in prayer, you become aware of his constant care. You like that? I just made that up. Anyway, if you go, if you... You become aware. What happens? How do you become aware of God's presence? You get into prayer. I believe prayer is so powerful. One of the most powerful things that we could do. It's so simple yet so complicated for Christians to do. We find ourselves having a tough time getting away to pray, but yet Jesus made it a daily habit. His prayer life was something that he did every day. It wasn't something that he did once in a while, but he did it every day. He did it often. In fact, in Luke 5, 16, it said, Jesus often slipped away 
to be alone so he could pray. He often did this. It was a habit of his life of continual presence of God. How do you stay in tune with God? How do you stay in continual relationship with God? Was that he continually prayed. And I believe we need to pray more. Turn to your neighbor and say pray. That's right. We need to pray. When, when you're aware, you're, you begin to be in prayer, okay? And you know today that God begins to take care of you. See, you miss the gifts of God. When you fail to get with God, we want his giftings. We want his assurance. We want to know that he's around us, but we never find time to pray. Sometimes you just need to be talking to God on a daily basis, man, wherever you're going. When you're driving somewhere, before you go somewhere, you know, take that time to pray. When you get up in the morning, when you're driving to work, it doesn't matter people looking at you in the, in the car next to you. Just talk to God. To find that, that time right there to begin to talk to God. Most of our problem is we're not aware that God cares because we're not in prayer. And yet when we have the mind of Christ, it teaches us to pray. Number four, are you ready for this one? When you have the mind of Christ, you let God choose your words. How many know sometimes our mouth can get us in trouble? Mouth management could be a lot of trouble for people, right? We don't know how to manage the things that we say. I want you to write this down today and think about it because we have to put on the mind of Christ, and he helps us to choose our words. When Jesus spoke, the Bible says he just didn't speak whatever he wanted to speak. Look at what he says in John 12, 49. He says, I've not spoken on my own. Instead, the Father who sent me, tells me what I should say and how I should say it. In other words, I'm not saying whatever I want to say. I'm not just speaking whatever I want to speak. I'm saying what God wants me to say. Wouldn't our relationship be a lot more better if you would just say what God wants you to say instead of saying what you want to say? Wouldn't your marriage be a lot better? Wouldn't your relationships with people around you, wouldn't there be much less conflict in your life if you would just speak the things that God would want you to say? If you find that your mouth is frequently getting you in trouble, the antidote is begin to think like Christ. Maybe I'm not saying the thing God wants me to say. Maybe, you know, a lot of times people say, I just give people a piece of my mind. That's your problem. Your mind is filled with junk. Your mind is filled with all kinds of evil. We don't want to get a piece of your mind. We want to get the mind of Christ. Can you say amen? That makes a difference. Number five, are you ready for that? We're halfway there, guys. When we have the mind of Christ, we are not worried about pleasing everybody. Now, I want to just say this because this is a big one right here. Because there are a lot of people pleasers. There's some in this room right now. You're a people pleaser. You, you want to please people. You're worried about what everybody else is, is thinking about you. It dominates your life. We are people pleasers. In other words, we're worried about what this person thinks about it. And, and, and really, we should just be worried about pleasing God. Jesus wasn't focused on pleasing people. He was focused on pleasing God. Jesus was not manipulated by the crowd. He was not manipulated by the approval or disapproval of people. 
He wasn't worried about what everybody thought about him. He wasn't worried about what they said about him on Facebook or Instagram or how many likes did he get. Are you hearing me? Or how many comments? He wasn't worried about that. Yet today we live in a society we're worried about how many likes we get, how many people made a comment. And you know, because we're, we're people pleasers. You know, we, and yet when we look at Jesus' life, all he wanted was he wanted to please one person. He lived for the audience of one. I said he lived for the audience of one. Look at the scripture. Write this down. John 530, he says, I only try to please the one who sent me. Thank you. I only try to please the one who sent me. Wouldn't that give you more peace if all you were trying to do is please one person? If you were just trying to please God, if that was just your mission, the reason why we get so stressed out is we're trying to please everybody. By the time you please group A, group B is mad at you, right? And then you go to group B and group A is mad at you. Am I right? You can't please everybody. I'll, I'll give you something. You might have already heard this, but do you realize that God can't please everybody either? Some people today, you're, you're praying for rain. Others are praying for sunshine. Some are praying for snow. Who does, who does God please? Am I right? You know, people are praying for this team to win. Another guy is praying for his, the other team to win. I mean, who does God please? There's some teams that your prayer won't even help, like the Raiders. They, they won't even help. That prayer won't even help that team. So, uh, yeah, I don't know if there's any Raider fans here. But anyway, again, prayer is not going to help you. So a lot of times it, it, it's hard because God can't please everybody. One person's praying for this. One person's praying for that. And even Jesus was the one that he understood that, and he only wanted to please the Father. In, in fact, the Father says this. In, in Matthew 3, 17, he said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. I love him and am well pleased with him. Now, listen to that. I mean, he was pleasing the father. And the truth is, you can't please everybody. Am I right? You can't please everybody. It's impossible. You can't please this person or that person. You just can't please everybody. And I, I have found in my life, as a pastor, I'm just going to make this confession to you. I have found that I'm, I'm well aware that I can't please everybody in my church. I am well aware that I am disappointing somebody. I'm well aware that I may be disappointing some of you here today. Who knows? Like maybe I can't. They go, well, I thought he was a different kind of preacher. I thought, I'm sorry. I, this is me, guys. I'm sorry. This is who I am. And so a lot of times, you know, we, we just, I, I'm well aware of the pastor that I'm, I just cannot please everybody, that I'm disappointing somebody at some point in life. And I found what Jesus said in Luke 16, 32, you can't serve two masters. So you have to decide who you're going to live for. I had to decide as the pastor who I was going to live for, God's approval or people's approval. Was I trying to please God? Or was I trying to please people? I have to be secure 
and my identity. I have to be secure in who God is. And I realize that I just can't uh, uh, please everybody that, I, that, that that's around me. And many times, even as the pastor, there are people that are saying, Pastor, you need to do this. Pastor, you need to do this. We need to be this kind of church. And I, sorry, I can't please you. I need to just please God. That's all I need to please. I need to please God. Somebody say amen. See, let me ask you this. Are you here? Let me say it this way. How many come to church for God and not people? How many come to church for God and not people? Raise your hand. That's awesome. Why is it then sometimes that people leave because of people when you were here for God and not people in the first place? Isn't that something? People will leave because of people. I say, wait a minute. Were you here because of people or were you here for God? Well, I was here for God. Then why are you leaving because of people? You're here for God, not people. Am I right? And well, well, there's a bunch of hypocrites. Well, I tell you, there are hypocrites everywhere you go. I said, there are hypocrites everywhere you go. We're praying for them, right? Praying that God will change them. God will transform them. There is no perfect church. I said, there is no perfect church. But, we, but there is a, a church that God saves and God heals. Can you say amen? So Jesus couldn't please everybody. In fact, in the end, that's why they crucified him and betrayed him because he couldn't please everybody, not even the religious people. So number six, when you have the mind of Christ, you depend on God's power, not your own. And here's the truth today. When you, become, when you realize who God is, you have, to, you have to begin to realize who you are. And when you realize who you are in comparison to who God is, you realize you need his power. You need his grace. You can't do it by yourself. Otherwise, you become very insecure. You become a person. But when you depend on yourself, you're going to find that no matter how much willpower, no matter how much mind power, you can't do it by yourself. We need the power of God. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We were talking about the Holy Spirit in this worship song today. And as we do that, I want you to realize that we need the power of God. Now, you're going to find throughout this whole message, I am quoting words of Jesus. I'm quoting scriptures of Jesus' word throughout this whole message. And each one of these points, these are Jesus' words, direct quotes from Jesus. And he is saying this. Look at what he says in John 5, 19. I assure you that the son can do nothing by himself. He says, I can't do anything by myself. I, I'm not able to do it by myself. And so all the human understanding, all the human wisdom, all the human education can't get it done. We need the power of God. We need the presence of God. We need the Holy Ghost working in our lives. Can you say amen? Even Paul the apostle realized that he could not do it on his own. Paul the apostle said this. I love what he says. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, he says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I but the grace of God that was with me. So we need God's empowerment. We need God's spirit to empower us. We can't do it by ourselves. And what happens when we, how do you know you're doing it by yourself? You, 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 you're frustrated. You're mad. You're stressed. 
And the reason why that is because you're trying to do things on your own power. You need the power of God working through you. You need the Holy Spirit to help you. Number seven, here's going to be a tough one for you guys. When you have the mind of Christ, you're willing to forgive others. Turn to someone and say forgive. Yeah, that's heavy. You're willing to forgive others. If you're going to learn to think like Christ, you're going to have to learn to forgive others, forgive your enemies, and forgive people that have hurt you. And this is the hallmark of who Jesus is. Makes him different than any other religious leader that in history is that Jesus was willing to forgive. Again, these are Jesus' words, Luke 23, 34. He's hanging on the cross in the agony of pain. Blood is leaving or draining out of his life. And this is what he says. He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He's nailed on the cross. Blood is draining from his life. And he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. What it means for you and I, if we're going to have the mind of Christ, we're going to have to willing to forgive people that have hurt us, that have done us wrong. We can't hold grudges if we're going to have the mind of Christ. And, friend, what happens when we begin to hold grudges, it hurts you more than it hurts people. See, when you have unforgiveness, what happens is like you're, you're drinking the poison, but you're hoping they're going to die. Because that grudge and that pain and that resentment begins to hurt you more than it hurts people. Now, you may say, well, how can I forgive them if they don't deserve it? Because you didn't deserve it either. But you were forgiven. Can you say amen? The people that Jesus forgave, they didn't deserve it, but he forgave them anyway. Here's what I like. And here's what's unique about Jesus' forgiveness. He was forgiving people that weren't even asking for forgiveness. He was forgiving people that even, didn't even acknowledge that they were doing anything wrong. Yet he forgave them anyway. See, lots of times we say, well, I'll forgive them if they ask for forgiveness. No, no. There's no one here at the cross asking for God to forgive them. But Jesus is give them forgive, giving them forgiveness anyway. See, we need to forgive people not so much for them, but for you. So it won't get in your heart that you don't become bitter, that it, that resentment doesn't get a hold of you. If we're going to have the mind of Christ, we're going to have to operate like Jesus did. And Jesus, I mean, it's radical. He was willing to forgive even those that were not looking for forgiveness. Uh, and, I, 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 you know, when you begin to read the scripture, man, it even goes further. Jesus even takes it to another level. Forgiveness becomes an even higher level. Look at, let's read this scripture. These are Jesus' words. Again, I, I'm reading scriptures from Jesus. Matthew 5, says, love your enemies. What? Bless those who curse you. What? Do good to those who hate you. Oh, no. And then pray for those which despitefully use you and persecute you. I mean, those are some heavy words. I mean, this is, this is raising forgiveness to a whole nother level. Because he says, you got to do this. These are, these are verbs. These are action words. He said, I want you to bless those who curse you. 
I want you to do good to those who hate you. And not only want you to do that, I want you to get on your knees and begin to pray for those that despitefully use you and persecute you. What does this mean? It means putting on the mind of Christ. If you're going to be a man and woman of God, if we're going to be Christians, if we're going to be Christ-like, forgiveness has to be a hallmark of your life. If you want healing in your soul, there's a lot of Christians, they're walking around with hurt because you've not learned to forgive. The power of forgiveness. You have to recognize Jesus forgave you and you didn't deserve it. You have to forgive people that don't deserve it either. It will free you and free them. It will liberate your heart in so many ways. And again, I'm encouraging you here because we have to put on the mind of Christ, even as Paul said that. Number eight, are you ready for this? You have to be willing to sacrifice for others. I said you have to be willing to sacrifice for others. I didn't hear you guys, but that's okay. Turn to your neighbor and say sacrifice. See, a lot of people are willing to sacrifice for, the, for themselves, but they're not willing to make a sacrifice for others. Do you know this is Christianity, that we're supposed to sacrifice for the benefit of others? Our time, our energy, our, 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 our finances, we're supposed to sacrifice for other people. That's hard. Look at what Jesus said in John 10, 14. I am the good shepherd, and I laid down my life for the sheep. He's saying, I give up my life for the benefit of others. I'm laying down my life for other people. Not for my benefit, but for the benefit of others. And then it, listen to what he says in Mark 10, 45, the very next verse. I came here not to be served. He says, I came here not to be served, but to serve others and to give my life as the ransom for many. I want you to look at two words there. I came to serve and I came to give. When we learn how to sacrifice, we are learning to serve and to give. That's why we're here. That's why this church is here. We want to serve this community and we want to give to this community. We want to give them Jesus, don't we? We want to serve them as Jesus served us and he gave his life for us. That's what we're wanting to do. That is our mission at the church. In Mark 8.35, it is only in giving your life away that you'll ever really know what it means to fully live. Following Jesus is learning to serve others for the benefit of others. And this is Jesus' life. This is the Son of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. He was willing to sacrifice his life for others. He was willing to go through things for the benefit of others so that others might live and others' lives might be changed. I'm going to read you another scripture here. It's 1 John 3.16. I just quoted John 3.16, but 1 John 3.16 says it even more powerful. It said, this is how we know what love is, real love. This is how we know that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for each other. You're supposed to lay your, down, your life down for others. You're supposed to give your life for somebody else. I need to move real quick here. Number nine. Number nine is when you have the mind of Christ, you want God's will, not your own will. 
That is contrary to the culture that we live in. Am I right? The, the, the culture that we live in wants to do its own thing. Look at what Jesus said in John 6, 38. I came to do what God wants me to do, not to do what I want to do. Wow, that's radical. I came to do what God wants me to do, not what I want to do. Today, people are here say, I want to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, where I want to do it, and nobody's going to tell me any different. That's the kind of society that we live in. It's a very self-centered society. I came to do my own thing. I don't want to give my life for others. I don't want to serve others. Uh, I want to do what I want to do. And Jesus is saying, I came to do the will of the Father. John 14, 31 says, I want the world to know that I love the Father. So there, the byproduct of love is obedience. Jesus is saying, I love the Father. Jesus also said, if you love me, you'll keep my word. So a byproduct of love. I know a lot of Christians say, I love God, but they're not obedient to God's word. A byproduct of your love for God, evidence of your love, is obedience. You can't say you love God, but you're living in disobedience. That's not very deep love. That's very shallow love. Am I right? But here Jesus is saying, I love God. I, I do what God called me to do. I do what he's to telling me to do. I'm not doing my own thing. I'm doing what God's called me to do. So what happens is that when you have the mind of Christ, you are seeking the will of God. I look at Pastor Mike and Jessica. They're here because they are doing the will of God. They had no plan to ever move to Texas. That was never in his uh, uh, mind, never in his thinking, never in his line of thought of ever leaving California that I know of. And, and yet, when the opportunity was presented, was I the one that told you? Yeah, I guess I was the one that told you. I said, hey, what about Texas? That might be a great opportunity for you. He had to really seek God. He had to say, God, is this your will? I said, you pray about it. See if, if the Austin area wouldn't be a church that we could establish a church there. Might be a great opportunity for you. You pray about it. And he finally said, yes. I believe that's where God wants me to be. I'm willing to leave my family, all my friends, and move over here to Texas and do the will of God. You see that? That's the miracle of God right there. And look, now he's not here by himself, but all of you are, all of you are here today. Come on, you can give God praise for that. Why? Because somebody decided to do the will of God, not their own will. What would happen if you begin to do the will of God? And everybody in this room says, you know what? I'm going to do the will of God. I'm not going to do my own will. I'm not going to do my own thing. I'm going to do God's will and what God's called me to do. And, 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 the, and the tenth thing, are you ready for this? And I'm going to close with this. When we, when we have the mind of Christ, we have an eternal perspective. We're not just thinking about the here and now. There's a lot of people today, we're just, they're just living for the here and now. They don't have an eternal perspective. I read this, and I love what it says. It says, human beings can stand an enormous amount of pain if they can see purpose in the pain and see a reward past the pain. I believe today that there's reward past the pain. Can you say amen? <clears throat> Hebrews 2.12, or 12.2 says, Jesus was willing, it says, to die. It says, on the death of the cross, because 
Basically, the Bible says, looking unto Jesus, he was willing to die the shameful death. And so I believe this morning that all of us need to be, have an eternal perspective. We need to see heaven on the horizon. We need to realize that this earth is passing away. That, you know what, this is great, we're enjoying it, it's awesome, but this isn't the end. I said, we have heaven to look forward. And not only that, God's going to give you a reward for what you're doing. We don't even deserve that. He's going to reward you. The Bible says that we're going to stand before God, and I want to hear those words. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I want to hear those words. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. When you read Matthew 25, the, the parable of the talent, you find that there was one servant that said he buried it. I don't want to be the servant that buried what God gave me, what God put in my life. I want to be that well done, that good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. We hope that you enjoyed this message. For more information on our church, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at ReclaimTX or check us out on our website, ReclaimChurchTX.com. Thank you for listening.